Okay, let's take a look at our scripture. Oh, by the way, if you're brand new to Redeemer, I forgot, we have a lovely, lovely gift for you to pick up in the foyer. I think we have an exclusive stay for a week at Redeemer's condo in the Caymans, uh, and you get to do that as well as his and her Rolexes and a variety, a mishmash of other wonderful things for you. So make sure to pick one of those up. And if you're willing, go ahead and fill out the Connect card and drop that in the offering plate as it comes around so we have a record of your visit. All we're going to do is send you an email or a letter saying thanks for coming. All right, our scripture can be found uh, in the bulletin. And we continue as we look through uh, the book of Galatians. This is our second sermon in the sermon series on the book of Galatians. And let me find that. There we go on the last page. Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Paul speaking to the church at Galatia. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The word of the Lord. I don't know if you've ever been confronted in this question with this question in an interview. If you are stranded on a desert island and can only take three items with you, what would they be? These are the sort of ridiculous and asinine questions that one gets in the interview process, which I hope no one is going through right now. But it is a question designed to examine the resourcefulness of the person. I've given some thought to this question. Uh, and my first one was Doritos, my wife, and some playing cards. But I thought there's no way that would get me hired. Probably they're looking for more of a resourceful answer, like tools, or duct tape, or a tarp, or perhaps a medical kit. But it seems to me that a 120-foot luxury yacht with some snacks would be much more appropriate if you were stranded on a desert island. The question really at the end is boiling down to what really matters in life. If you were stranded on a desert island, if you could only take with you the very things that were most important to you, what would they be? When we boil down it down to the things that really matter in life, we probably go down to things like family, things like food, things like friendship. But I want to suggest, and the scriptures clearly communicate, that it goes much deeper than that. That ultimately the most fundamental thing in life, the most important thing in life, is our relationship with God. Our standing with God. The gospel stance that we have with God. And what Paul is ultimately communicating in the book of Galatians is that, Galatians, you have lost sight of the most important thing in life. You've traded it, if you will, for something that does not have the importance. The gospel, what God has done in Jesus Christ to free you from your sins, to give you salvation in him, is the most important thing. Thank you, Sensei. (laughs) And if you take everything away, Ultimately, it hinges on the gospel. If there's one lesson we can learn from the book of Galatians, it's this. 
If we have to tighten our grip on one thing, it's the gospel. And so we're going to examine Paul's defense of the gospel in this passage through looking at three particular topics. Number one, Paul's passion. There's a passion that Paul gives. Why is he so passionate about defending this point? Number two, Paul's pronouncement. Paul says, if anyone is preaching a gospel different than the one that we preach, let him be condemned. And then finally, number three, Paul's defense. Am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? So let's begin with point number one, Paul's passion. Paul starts out with this comment. Remember, he's given a brief introductory welcome, very unlike his other welcomes, because he wants to get right to the point. And here is the point in verse 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Notice that word astonished. He's saying, I'm, I'm bewildered. I, I can't believe what I'm seeing before me. It's a rebuke of the Galatian church. And his astonishment comes with the fact that they are quickly deserting him who called them by the grace of Jesus Christ. Who is this him? It's Jesus. He's tantamount, tantamount to saying that you're deserting Christ. Notice that the grace of Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus himself are interchangeable. And Paul is saying you're deserting Jesus. And in fact, you're quickly deserting him. You came to Christ through my preaching and I leave and right away you're already deserting him and it's astonishing me. And how are they deserting Jesus? By turning to a different gospel is what the scripture says. Notice that there is no other way that we can know Jesus than as Savior. Jesus and salvation are right intertwined with one another. And so these Galatians are choosing a different gospel than that of Jesus and in essence deserting him. Now this brings up the question, what is the gospel? Paul will go on in a chapter in Galatians 2.15 to really outline what the gospel is. When he says, we ourselves, who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is saying that I, though I am a Jew, though I have the law, know that a person is not justified by obedience to the law, by any written code, whether the law of God or any other thing, but only through faith in Jesus Christ. It is the blood shed by Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross that brings me into a status of rightness before God. And so Paul says, so we also have believed in order to be justified. The gospel is quite simply trusting in the, in the work of Christ alone, by faith in Christ alone, to stand right with God. And Paul is astonished that the Galatians have abandoned that to instead follow works of the law in order to be justified. And Paul's hackles are up because he is a pastor and he has brought these people to Christ 
and he recognizes that they are in danger of their, sh- of their faith being shipwrecked. And so he says that there is, verse 7, not that there is another one, but there's some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. In other words, there are some who have come in and have said, guess what? It's not on the basis of Christ's work alone. That the blood of Jesus Christ is not enough. Rather, we want you to trade this gospel for a gospel that's enmeshed with human works. Yes, Christ died on the cross, absolutely. But it's not enough. God receives you and accepts you on your performance, on your observance of the religious law. And if you do not do the things required by the law, you will not be justified before God. You will not have a standing with Him. Well, we sort of uh, recognize and we look at that and we think, well, that could never be us. But the reality is it's so easy to depart from the gospel and to turn to the gospel of man. When you think of the world and you think of religion, and even if you think of evangelical Christianity, there is a tendency to elevate the goodness of man and to lower the divinity and the holiness of Christ. In other words, he's not really that holy. He doesn't really demand perfection. That we do have what it takes. That within us we can build that stairway to heaven by living right, by loving right, by ascending to being like God. And what Paul is saying is the result is you've reduced Jesus Christ to nothing. You've traded him away. And Paul is astonished that they have done so. They've traded him for a trinket. It made me think of that famous uh, exchange of Manhattan in 1626, where the island of Manhattan was purchased for the value of 60 guilders, or $24 in trinkets. I don't know if you've heard this story or not. Well, that's actually incorrect. The value that the uh, Indians got for Manhattan was not $24. It was $951. It was a much better deal, if you will. Right now, by the way, the average property in Manhattan goes for, uh, uh, it's $1,000 a square foot. So essentially, the Indians got one square foot of Manhattan by giving away 22 miles of it. They traded away something precious because they did not understand its value. In the end, there is only one thing that matters, and it's the gospel. Think about that. If there was only one thing that you could hold on to, what would it be? Would it be your reputation? Would it be your health? Or would it be the fact that God sent his son down and died on a cross for you and me? That we would be justified in his sight? How tightly are you holding on to the gospel? This brings me to my second point if I can find it. (laughs) 
Paul's pronouncement. Galatians 1.8 puts it this way. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. This word accursed in Greek is the word anathema. And in fact, Paul pronounces this curse twice. Thus, it is a double anathema that Paul is pronouncing on anyone that is preaching a false gospel. That's a pretty serious pronouncement. Paul is in essence saying that whoever is preaching to you, church, this false gospel, let them be cursed instead. Let the fires of hell be their destination. Why is Paul being so, so serious about this? Because in essence, anyone that preaches a gospel different from the one that, uh, that Paul preached, that the gospel preached, is here's what they're saying. That when Jesus Christ got up on the cross and at the very end said it is finished, that it's not finished. Our sins have not been paid for. Christ's blood that was shed on the cross is not enough. That Jesus' work for you and for me is not sufficient. Indeed, we are exposed to the wrath of God. See, this is no theological trifle that Paul is dealing with. He sees that these people's souls are in danger of hell. The reality is it's very unfashionable to preach about hell, isn't it? In fact, we've grown immune to the reality of hell. But the Bible is very, very clear about hell. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 says that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. Hell is described as a place where the fire does not die and the worm is not clenched. Not only will there be destruction in hell, but as the scriptures say, those people will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Now, a lot of people say, how can there be hell? God, that doesn't, God is love and therefore there should not be hell or, or something's wrong with God. But I want to suggest, how could there not be hell if God is just and righteous? See, we mistake God's patience with sinners for the idea that God is tolerant of sin. But God is perfect. And God is holy. And God is loving and just. And he really did mean it when he said to love your neighbor as yourself and to love God with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength. That is what we were made to do and designed to do. And anything less than that is an offense to God. See, as we elevate the holiness of man, and we lower the holiness of God. We strip God of his glory and his holiness and what he accomplished on the cross for you and me. 
And Paul is jealous for the glory of God. That all of the greatness of what he did, getting up on a cross, carrying the weight of the sins of his people, would be honored and would be recognized. But our world has no time for that. Our world has no place for sin and hell. I recently took a little trip. I don't know if Ron has these pictures up here. I call it the Gospel of Wegmans. I don't know if you've been to Wegmans or not. It was my first time at Wegmans. And it was like going to Disney World for groceries, right? It's a destination. One used to just go to the store to get oatmeal. Instead, now one can go to the store to get happiness and contentment and comfort. Next slide, here. Here's me with a variety of different orchids. It's hard to tell which is the orchid and which is me. I get that. Go ahead and move on to the next slide. It was amazing the variety of checks that were available for me because everything is available at Wegmans. Indeed, fine wine. Notice the man ghosting me in the back. I found this very interesting if you look at the next slide. There was a complete section for ube desserts. I did not know that ube is a purple yam with a subtle and earthy flavor. I do now. Now there's nothing wrong with Wegmans in itself, but Wegmans represents the message of the world. Everything is fine here. We can be comfortable and content and have all of our dreams realized and all of our needs met because everything is fine. But everything is not fine, is it? If everything is fine, then God is not God. And if you are not a Christian, I remember not being a Christian and laying my head down on my pillow at night and recognizing that all was not right with my soul. Because I have not lived up to the man that I was designed to be. I have not loved God with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. And God's standard is perfect love and perfect perfection. And without the grace and the gift of God, no ensconcing myself in an upscale grocery store or distracting my mind for all of my days is going to take away from the fact that I must stand before God and give an account of my life. Were that the only message in the Bible, we would all be doomed. But the Gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. He took me, who was destined for the flames and fires of hell, and He gave me the robe of sonship, and He justified me and elevated me, so that when I stand before God, I can run into his arms like a father and a son because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Have you fallen prey to the thinking of the world? My sin isn't that bad. God doesn't care about my sin. God doesn't care about the world's sin. 
But he does. And he paid for the sins of his people on the cross. If you are a Christian, he paid for every sin you have committed, every sin you are committing, and every sin you will commit. And so great is his love that there is nothing that you can do to change that. What Paul is saying to the Galatian church and what I'm saying to you is to tighten your grip on the gospel. To not let go of it for anything. Because Christ had to die for your and my sin. And Christ wanted to die for your and my sin. We cannot exchange that for anything else. There's nothing else that's worth our blood and our sweat and our tears to hold on to. This brings me to my final point, Paul's defense. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. The message I am giving you is quite unpopular with the world, isn't it? You ever wonder why Jesus is so unpopular with the world? I mean, this is the Jesus who hung on the cross and said, forgive my enemies for they know not what they do. Jesus who elevated the status of the poor and the helpless. And yet he's so unpopular because Jesus is God's communicating to us that you are lost and in your sins and without my son there is no hope for you. And so there is a long line of people distorting the gospel from its beginning. And hopefully by God's grace I will never do that. Because these are the words of life that can save your soul. The gospel is the smile of God. His message to you and me that he cares, that he loves. And so Paul is saying, I have to tell you the truth. These other people who have infiltrated into the church, they're trying to win a popularity contest. They're in it for them. But I'm in it for you. And so I must share with the same urgency, the urgency that Paul is sharing. I don't want to be astonished that you have departed so quickly from the one who has called you by the grace of Jesus Christ. Because it is the greatest gift. And it must be handled with the greatest sobriety. If we want to hold on to the gospel, we must embrace this truth. That I am not all of that. And he is. That I am finished without him. But with him, I am renewed. That the blood shed on the cross is enough for me and his finished work is all that I need. Paul's admonition to the Galatians and mine to you is that we must tighten our grip on the gospel and not let go, no matter what. What has to go from your life in order to tighten your grip on the gospel? I've shared this story about how they trap monkeys in Africa. They take a glass jar and they go ahead and, and they can unscrew the bottom of it and they put a piece of fruit in it and they'll close up the bottom. And what will happen is the monkey will put their 
hand through the little hole in the jar. And when they grab the piece of fruit, well, now their hand is turned into a fist. And so they can't pull it out. Now, if they just let go of the fruit, they'd be able to pull their hand out. But they want that fruit. And so what happens is they hold on to that fruit. And lo and behold, they hear the sound of the hunter and they start running. But they won't let go of that fruit. And so with this giant glass jar, they are taken by the hunter. What jar is your hand in? What are you holding on to? And is it worth your life? You may be in here for the first time. You may be hearing the message of Jesus Christ for the first time. And I'm here to tell you the good news that Christ came into the world to save people like you and people like me and to make you justified before God. And today, you can be right with God. But Christians, we have a great gift, a blessing. And if everything was to be taken from our life, in the end, it wouldn't matter. Because if we have Jesus, we have everything we need. And for some of you right now, your life may be falling apart. And I want to encourage you. If you're going through hell, keep going, right? Christ is with you. But because of his gospel, he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. It's from the beginning until the end. So tighten your grip on the gospel. And don't let go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this word. It is a rebuke to us. Lord, I confess it's so easy for me to quickly desert you who called me through the grace of Jesus Christ and to grab hold of other things. Help me to tighten my grip on the gospel and the gospel alone that through the finished work of Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus alone, I am saved. Let that be my stand and let that be my anthem. Pray in Christ's name, amen.